Chapters seventeen, eighteen, and nineteen of the Interrupted Kiss by Richard Marsh. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter seventeen. Afterwards, there was the sound of the splash, the ping of the shot, then silence, curious silence. The shot was in evidence longest. The splash was heard and died. The echoes of the shot seemed to linger in the air it was odd how the splash had been heard and died boris stood with his forepaws right on the edge of the bank looking down at the water each moment elsie expected that he would leap in each moment also she expected to hear the splash take a different form as the man struggled to get out of the lake but nothing happened boris did not move continuing to look down as if he could not make this business out at all and no noise came from the lake elsie put her hand up to her left shoulder the bullet had struck her there the dog had gone unscathed in passing through her sleeve it had seared her skin burning so she had to put up her hand to touch it the sleeve was damp already when she looked at her fingers she saw that they were stained stooping she wiped them on the grass as she did so boris looked round she went to him and stood by his side staring down at the water it was motionless so far as she was able to perceive not so much as a ripple disturbed its surface something was running in her head about making a hole in the water she was conscious of an absurd feeling that if she stared hard enough she might see the hole which had so recently been made but there was nothing to be seen nothing even of those ever-widening circles which come of the dropping of a stone boris glanced up at her she had a notion that on his face there was an expression which said that this sudden evanishment of the man really was beyond his comprehension altogether she moved her hand to touch his head her left hand even the slight movement pained her so that she had to bite her lip to keep back an exclamation the leather lead was in her right slipping it through his collar she whispered come boris it seemed to her as his eyes met hers that in his was surprise as if he wondered at her haste but she paid no attention to it if there was she began to walk away and the dog walked with her and presently they left the lake behind they had not however gone far before again her nostrils were greeted by the scent of tobacco glancing up she saw that a masculine figure was sauntering towards them along the path that it was a friend of boris was made plain by his evident desire to be allowed to advance and greet him a voice saluted her hello elsie is that you and boris what on earth was that row just now someone firing a revolver and going dash splash into the lake at this time of night have you been treating boris to a swim it was edwin harmar coming home giving boris his heart's desire the dog rushed forward to meet him harmar felt his coat apparently old man you haven't been having a bath then who has eh elsie it sounded as if someone had gone splashing into the water i heard it as i was coming down the drive the girl treated his inquiry as if it had not been put claire didn't know when you were coming home so she went to bed and boris and i came out for a walk quite right too just the night for a walk isn't it lovely i wonder who it was went tumbling into the lake we've come round by the fish-pond perhaps you heard me throwing something in you threw in something pretty big if you did something that made a thundering row and how about the revolver shot did you fire that perhaps you heard me cracking boris's lead one end of the lead was a dog-whip 
she snapped it in the air smartly producing a sound which might have been mistaken by someone who had not seen how it had been caused for the report of a pistol he seemed willing to take it for granted that that was what he had heard it might have been you and the whip yet i thought i knew the sound of a revolver as well as any man he had turned when she had reached him the pair were walking side by side with boris a step or two in front they were still for a second or two then he said with that slight drawl in his speech which elsie sometimes thought was a trick he cultivated when he wished to be taken as less in earnest than he actually was it's lucky my meeting you like this i've wanted to have a quiet chat with you for some days but you've managed to fend me off it was done unconsciously if i did if that's so unconsciousness serves you uncommonly well taking his cigar from his mouth he examined the ash i've always thought that you were a girl in a million i've always thought that i was one of many millions yes no doubt but that's not what i meant as you know the average girl's a fool you're not what's coming i dined to-night with rupert earl and from what he told me you appear to be treating him uncommonly badly that's what's coming has mr earl commissioned you to say that not a bit of it as again you know then i don't intend to allow you to comment on your own initiative on how i treat mr earl or mr anybody else thank you very much rupert earl is the best fellow that ever lived he has never done a thing of which he has cause to be ashamed in his life and if you really suppose he has you're not the kind of girl i took you for i'm not aware that i wished you to take me for any particular kind of girl you seem to have got it all wrong about what happened that night so i'll tell you exactly what did take place at least so far as we three were concerned palgrave earl and myself edwin if you make a single reference to that horrible night i'll run away from you as fast as ever i can i've avoided you because i felt that you wanted to talk about it and i won't be made to listen but you can't want to punish a man for what he never did especially a man who worships the ground you stand on you can't be that sort of girl i'm beginning to be sorry that you did meet me please let's walk a little faster and do let's talk of something else don't you think there's going to be a change in the weather elsie i've been a fool and something worse and if my folly's going to spoil earl's life by estranging him from you i may as well commit suicide straight off because i'll never forgive myself all i want to tell you is that i'm to blame for everything that happened edwin let me tell you something it's because i understand better perhaps than you ever will that when you or others speak of that that night it's as though something were being driven into my heart so that it's all i can do to keep myself from screaming it's plain if you talk like that that you don't understand edwin am i to run elsie as if fearful that she would put her threat into execution he caught her by the arm an exclamation broke from her which was very like a cry of pain my arm as he released her she went staggering across the path until she gained the support of a trunk of a tree he stared at her in amazement boris turning regarded them with inquiring eyes as one would have asked what was the matter elsie exclaimed mr harmar what's wrong with your arm your sleeve's all wet i do believe my hand's covered with blood elsie what's happened to your arm the girl was leaning against the tree as if she needed its support to help her stand there was a catch in her voice when she spoke i must have heard it as i was coming round the lake but how can you have heard it to that extent why you must be bleeding like a pig my hand's all bloody 
elsie that was a revolver shot i heard who fired it i wish i'd never met you something in her words and manner impressed him to the point of keeping him silent for several seconds neither of them spoke then he did what she had done when she had first made the discovery that her sleeve was wet he stooped and wiped his hand upon the grass when he rose his attitude towards her was one of less familiarity his speech was more ceremonious i beg your pardon if i've said or done anything to cause you to suppose that i've wished in any way to trespass on your confidence shall i come with you to the house or would you rather go alone would you mind taking boris to the stable with pleasure come along old man if your arm worries you hadn't you better attend to it i'm going straight in don't wait i'll be all right i'll follow the fact was that she wished to make sure that he went with the dog in the direction of the stable and not back again towards the fish bond mr harmar said to boris as together they walked towards the stable yard and as he spoke his face was lighted with a whimsical smile i'm sometimes inclined to think that it's a pity old man that dogs can't talk you might be able to throw some light on that mysterious young lady's mysterious proceedings then as by an afterthought laughing he patted boris's head but then of course as you're a gentleman even if you could talk you'd tell no tales chapter eighteen ting-a-ling-a-ling-a-ling it was not a pretty place which the bullet had made on miss graham's shoulder actually it was on the fleshy part of the arm where the humerus joins the shoulder-blade it showed out conspicuously on the girl's delicate white skin when in the solitude of her own bedroom she removed her bodice and saw it the sight made her turn a little faint although it was only a superficial flesh wound it hurt terribly having dressed it at her washstand with cold water she bound it as well as she might with a strip of linen holding one end in her teeth and drawing it round and round with her right hand as tightly as she could she was conscious that the pain might keep her wakeful as if it were necessary that anything else should do that since she had brought with her to her sleeping-chamber that which banished sleep when she had dressed her shoulder she had a mind to put on another bodice and go back to the fish-bond even now it might not be too late he might be lying somewhere on the bank in need of those offices which win back the partially drowned to life how it haunted her that fish-pond how plainly she could see it now how clearly she could hear the splash even the silence which followed that inexplicable silence why had she not stayed to render to a wretched man the services which were dictated by the commonest humanity if she had sent boris in after him he would certainly have brought him out dead or alive why had she attached the lead to the dog's collar and brought him away with her and left him in the silence what had happened to the man how deep was the pond just there so close to the bank at that point the bank sank in a sheer descent some twelve or thirteen feet to the water it was possibly the height which had been the chief cause of the mischief falling from such a distance stunned by the violence with which he had struck the water he had sunk like a stone never to rise again possibly too the bed of the pond there was not earth but mud or covered with a thick growth of weeds there must be some explanation of the silence which had followed she had always understood that a drowning person rose three times to the surface he certainly had not risen once she had waited for him to rise how long in fact had she waited five minutes four three she was quite sure that she had waited long enough for him to rise at least once if he meant to rise since he had not risen what ought she to have done 
she knew very well what she ought to have done because she had not done it she had banished sleep at any rate it was all over now she would not go back she remembered something which the man himself had said that afternoon what was the use of making a fuss about spilt milk if the milk was spilt what was the use with compressed lips and rigid eyes she began to undress and prepare for bed each garment she took off seemed to cause a pang of pain to shoot right through her but eventually she blew out the candle and got between the sheets settling herself on her right side her shoulders seemed to be hurting her each moment more and more she would have counted herself fortunate if mere intensity of pain could have kept her from thinking but for some malign reason suffering seemed to make her brain more active her imagination more vivid then in the darkness the events of the night and of the day were acted before her over and over again whether her eyes were open or closed it was the same she could not shut them out so that her mental anguish was greater far than her physical the questions which forced themselves upon her compelling from her an answer which she could not give the question which recurred to her time after time was how had boris come to get loose from his lead had she let him go of deliberate intent or his strength being greater than hers had he broken away from her because he was too much to hold she knew that she had let him go it was true that he had strained and leaped and nearly dragged her over but she might have maintained her hold had she been set on it or if she had chided him he would have ceased to strain no any attempt to hide from herself the truth on that point was vain the lead was attached to his collar by a spring she had pressed the spring and the dog had gone the vituperation with which the fellow had assailed her had made her all red-hot had she been a man she would have assailed him with her own hands being a girl she had used the dog instead it was useless to try self-deception then she knew perfectly well that her desire and her intention had been to punish the man she had cared nothing for the consequences she had risked the dog's life the bullet which had struck her had been meant for him it was not strange that in the suddenness of it all the fellow had missed his aim she was not sure as she lay there thinking against her will that he was not entitled to shoot he had a right to do something in self-defence what else could he have done no ordinary stick would have availed she knew boris had the fellow struck him the probabilities were that without doing him any material hurt he would only have increased the dog's rage boris really in a rage was dangerous indeed against his fury a stick of any sort would have been as nothing the fellow would have fared badly if he had struck him even she might not have been able to save him then more she had meant all along to use boris as a weapon of offence as she lay and reflections came crowding on her she knew it perfectly well familiar with his dislike to doubtful-looking strangers she had freedom from his chain with the thought at the back of her head that with his aid she could bring the fellow to book and she had brought him to book as she had designed all along that she would do even somewhere at the back of her brain there had lurked the possibility of exactly what had happened knowing that he would be where he was she had foreseen that if boris was there he might very easily fall into the lake and he had fallen and there had been the splash and then silence how the sound of the splash was in her ears and the tenseness of the silence if only something would disturb the stillness of the night she was a fool to put out the candle its light would have been something 
she might have read read she had not been able to read since since her uncle died why must she think of that if only she could stop thinking she would she would banish thought she believed herself to have a fairly strong will she would use it to put thought from her she would refuse to allow anything to occupy her mind she must be tired and she was sure she was so tired she would concentrate all her efforts on an attempt to sleep all at once what was that she gave such a sudden start in bed that a moan broke from her before she knew it because of the twist she had given her shoulder what was it she had heard she had wished the stillness might be broken and it had been by what a bell was it a bell she had raised herself on her right elbow straining her ears she held her breath lest she should lose the faintest sound could she have seen herself she would have known that her cheeks were almost as white as her nightdress and that her eyes were dilated was it a bell there it came again what it was this time was unmistakable ding-a-ling-a-ling-a-ling it was the telephone the bell was ringing someone was calling them up what time could it be who could be calling up timberham at that hour of the night it had been the invariable custom in her uncle's time to disconnect the telephone at night so far as she knew the custom had been continued by what inadvertence had the practice been omitted to-night ting-a-ling-a-ling-a-ling the bell continued to ring without cessation a moment's reflection told her that probably after all it was not so very late she could not have been upstairs so very long probably when she retired the night had been yet young apparently whoever called was persistent intending to keep on ringing until notice was taken hers was the nearest occupied bedroom to the library the servants were at a distance claire and edwin were in the other wing the chances were that she was the only one whom the bell had roused dare she go to learn who the caller was rather dare she not go she slid out of bed fumbling with the matches before she could get one to strike she lit the candle how the bell kept on why had not whoever was at the other end a little patience what was the sense of keeping up such a persistent ringing she could not find her slippers when she had thrust her pink feet into them she had a notion that someone was moving about the house and became conscious of her overwhelming anxiety to be the first to answer the telephone call feverishly donning her dressing-gown heedless of the pain she caused herself by passing her left arm through its sleeve snatching up the candlestick opening the door she went out on to the landing and listened she had been mistaken her fancy had played her a trick no one was moving in the house all was still save for the twittering discord of that persistent bell she looked over the banister into the hall below how dark it was she had not gone down into that darkness since the night her uncle died that bell was calling her to the room in which he had died at the thought she drew a little back she was more reluctant to descend only the fear that the bell might be heard by others before she had learned who called dragged her down she went down slowly stair by stair looking behind in front on either side of her each step she took she who was wont to fly down those stairs so carelessly 
at the foot she paused fearful to advance not daring to retreat the library door was just ajar as it had been she remembered on that night just in this fashion then had she come down the stairs suppose what was the use of supposing that way madness lay giving a quick step forward she pushed the door wide open the room was empty she had known that it was empty yet as holding the candle above her head she searched it everywhere it was with a great sigh of relief that she saw that no one was inside moving rapidly across the room placing the candlestick upon the table she caught up the receiver it was something to have stopped that bell hello she said there was in it so strange a quality that she did not recognize the sound of her own voice but as a voice came back to her along the wire she was seized with such a fit of trembling that gripping forgetfully in her desire to steady herself the edge of the table with her hand she gave her poor arm such a wrench that she had to close the lids tightly over her eyes and press her teeth into her lip to get the better of her pain is that timberham she recognized the sound of that voice though she had been as a stranger to her own for it was to her as the voice of one speaking from the grave and though it was not musical nor pleasant and was very far from being the voice of one she loved it seemed to her with her heart beating against her ribs and her whole frame shaking that it was the sweetest sound she had ever heard for unless her ears played her falser than they had ever done or than she believed they ever would do it was the voice of one for whose sake she had been enduring tortures because she had supposed him to be lying at the bottom of the lake it was a moment or two before she could regain enough control of herself to speak at all and when she did her voice was all of a shiver it-it's i el elsie graham there came back a full-mouthed objurgation which was proof positive that her voice had been recognized too by god it is you blank cat there streamed through the receiver a flood of epithets from which at any other time she would have fled but then she did not seem to mind them at all she merely regarded them as evidence that the man still lived and that was all for which she cared presently the stream grew less either because his stock began to be exhausted or because he thought that he had done enough for the occasion apparently also a sudden doubt took hold of him are you there probably he felt that after such an illustration of the capacities of bad language she might have ceased to be there she proceeded at once to reassure him oh yes i'm still here then mind you stop there until i've finished you hear you tried to murder me you blank cat you shot me in the arm i wish i'd shot you in the heart and the dog too both the pair of you if it wasn't for the greatest fluke that ever was i'd be rotting at the bottom of that blank lake it was all she could do to keep from hysterical laughter the revulsion in her feelings was so startling and complete that the evident fury which was in the speaker's voice struck her as comical the fact that she had left his remark unanswered seemed to renew his doubts are you there again she reassured him then you listen to me and mind you do listen and mind you mark my words i'm going to have no more fooling about now which is it to be are you going to let me have that five hundred pounds i am you are oh that's it is it you are that's the time of day come to your senses have you perhaps now you've earned it 
in spite of herself a sound entered the receiver which reaching him moved him to fresh rage laughing are you you blank cat all right you laugh go on laughing you wait a bit perhaps it will be my turn to do the laughing before we've done ha <laughs> ha the sound which reached her was so little like a laugh that it startled her if you're treating this as a joke my little pet you'll find that the joke's a bad one am i or am i not to understand that you'll give me that five hundred i've already told you that i will forty to-morrow you shall have it and the rest on friday to enable you to make a fresh start in the united states of america on saturday i quite understand still laughing are you keep it up you're a nice little thing i don't think just you tell me clear and straight what you do understand what i'm to understand about the coin i mean you're to understand that i will let you have forty pounds to-morrow and the rest of the five hundred pounds on friday is that clear and straight oh quite thank you is that a joke or do you swear that that is what you'll do it's not a joke and i do swear that that is what i'll do good then why the devil couldn't you talk sense before now just you listen you'll have to send me that money to the address i'm going to give you there's some paper on that table as i happen to know so you write it down lionel fitzherbert esq don't you forget the esq twenty-one pearl street soho london got it then just you read what you've got while she held the receiver in one hand she had been scribbling with the other on a scrap of paper the address as it came from him at his request she acquainted him through the telephone with what she had written he was pleased to express his approval after insisting on her reiterating the undertaking she had given and charging her evidently with all the earnestness he could command to see that she carried it out in the smallest detail he bade her what he probably meant as an ironical good-night my darling and the conversation closed under normal circumstances she would have resented his familiarity with all her force then it went unheeded disconnecting the instrument by laying the receiver down upon the table she turned to leave the room with a lighter step and a lighter heart than she had entered as she was passing through the doorway she heard someone moving in the hall before she could withdraw edwin harmar stood before her with his cap on and a cane in his hand as if he had just entered the house it would not have been easy to say which was the more surprised to see the other she was the first to speak edwin still up and only just come in why whatever time can it be i thought you were upstairs hours ago she was conscious that he was looking her up and down with something in his glance which she instinctively resented did you it's not so very late like you i've been for a stroll round the fish-pond there was a tone in his voice which laid stress on the curious look in his eyes did you take boris with you no i chained him up i had a sort of feeling that you wanted me to chain him up have you been by the fish-pond all this time mostly what have you been doing in the library in that charming rig-out you look as if you had already been to bed i've been to fetch something she showed him the scrap of paper on which she had written the address i see i presume it's something rather important which wouldn't wait for the morning or you would hardly have left your comfy bed to come and fetch it by the way i found two rather funny things by the fish-pond near the summer-house one was on the top of the bank and the other just over the edge 
one was a revolver a single chamber of which had been recently discharged the other was a briar-pipe with a bowl still warm no one was in sight i waited for the owner to appear but he never came rather odd that any one should have gone off and left behind especially just where i found them two such very personal belongings he held out a revolver and a pipe for her to see chapter nineteen in quest of five hundred pounds elsie found claire in the morning-room writing letters miss graham had breakfasted in bed off a cup of tea and a slice of toast though her arm had become appreciably less painful it still smarted she would have carried it in a sling had she not wished to avoid curious inquiries she had already found that she was apt to be forgetful and that each time she moved it inadvertently the result was a nasty twinge but she had decided that she would rather endure that than be subjected if she could help it to cross-examination she wondered as she entered the morning-room how much edwin harmar had told his wife if he had said anything about her arm claire's cue apparently was to allow the first reference to come from her she looked round casually as elsie appeared then went on writing well my dear child how goes it that was the only remark she made elsie trifled with some books and papers which were on a little table as she watched her cousin's pen go flying on presently she asked a question am i interrupting you well i've got some letters to write but they'll keep i wanted to talk to you about what you were saying yesterday you know that paper you wished me to sign claire spun quickly round i'm not at all too much engaged not to be ready to talk to you about that here's the sort of thing i mean edwin drew it up at my particular request before he went out has edwin gone out early he said he had to go i don't know why and he's going to be away all day these men elsie was examining the paper claire had given her i don't understand this very well but i see it says something about ten thousand pounds my dear we've both of us got to sign that paper it's an authorization and an assurance both in one by it we agree to indemnify those lawyer people against any bad consequences which may come from their giving us ten thousand pounds of our own money i don't understand much better than you do but according to edwin that's what it amounts to when shall you get the money if edwin takes the paper up to town to-morrow which is thursday maybe they'll condescend to let us have the coin next week next week but claire can you let me have forty pounds to-day my dear child edwin and i haven't five pounds in hard cash between us it's a fact we're absolutely stony and all my money he's got i don't mind admitting to you that i haven't five shillings in my purse not only so but if we don't get that coin next week we shall be in an appalling hole we shall have to get it from some one somehow and that's the truth i must have forty pounds to-day elsie whatever for you told me yesterday you didn't owe more than ten pounds in the world i must not only have forty pounds to-night but i must also have the difference between that and five hundred pounds by friday but my dearest i don't understand you were talking yesterday as if you would never want any money at all claire are you quite sure that you can't let me have forty pounds now elsie what do you mean do you suppose that if i could i'd tell you i couldn't if it isn't too great a secret could you give me some notion what it's wanted for what difference would that make none i confess only really elsie your manner is so strange you almost frighten me i do hope you're not in a hole 
yesterday afternoon you were talking as if money were something altogether beneath your notice yet now you're asking me for forty pounds as if you were holding a pistol to my head clare can't you suggest some way by which i can get at five hundred pounds by friday you might go up to town yourself and ask them for it the situation really is ridiculous here's all uncle's money left to one of us and we're both of us penniless if you were to ask them for five hundred pounds i should imagine they'd hardly refuse to let you have it on the nail who am i to ask mr lazarus and company no thank you i'm not going to ask them for any of that money of which i've sworn that i wouldn't touch a farthing was any one so unreasonable is the girl insane what money do you suppose you're going to get if you won't have that give me a pen i'll sign this paper of yours my dear child do go slowly how you jump about you'll want a witness edwin said that he thought our signatures ought to be witnessed ring the bell one of the servants will do regarding her cousin with arched eyebrows as if she was strongly of opinion that something must be seriously wrong with her mrs harmar did her bidding and rang the bell tyrell appeared miss graham who had seated herself at the davenport at which mrs harmar had just been writing explained what was required tyrell i want you to witness my signature while she was attaching her name to the paper in her small clear firm characteristic handwriting mrs harmar got in her word and mine tyrell when the paper had been signed and witnessed and tyrell had gone miss graham made as if to follow him turning as she went is there anything else you want of me nothing at present thank you in what a tone you do ask elsie where are you going i am going to get that five hundred pounds before her cousin could inquire where she proposed to seek for what from the point of view of many people was quite a comfortable little sum miss graham had quitted the room leaving mrs harmar with the paper which had just been signed and witnessed in her hand End of chapter seventeen through nineteen